Hey, that's not our theme music. Oh man, it's another theme month. dinosaur kid. Every little boy I have ever met, at least during one part of his childhood, had a dinosaur stage. Now, some girls have it too, but look, I'm male and I hang with boys, and to date, from what I've seen, boys seem to just be more drawn to them. I don't know, perhaps it's just relatable. The concept of giant lizards stomping around really speaks to the id of a four to five year old struggling to control their base impulses. So, 65 million years ago, dinosaurs walked the Earth, at least for the period that we now consider the Mesozoic Era, which itself is divided into three geological periods, the Triassic, the Jurassic, and the Cretaceous. This was the Age of Reptiles, the middle period of life's development on the planet hence the name Mesozoic, meaning middle life. And it spanned a time period over 186 million years, starting around 252 million years before current era and lasting up until about 66 million years before current era, right when the Cenozoic began and the rise of mammals occurred. Does that bore you? Well, too bad. I fell in love with all of it. Hadrosaurus, Brontosaurus, Tyrannosaurus rex. The names themselves are exciting. Pterodactyls, Stegosaurus, Monoclonius. They're just fun to say. The words themselves become pictures. You look at these fossilized bones and you say the words and you can see into their world. A world that's not unlike the animal kingdom of today. Mating calls, nest building, laying of eggs. And the dramatic and suspenseful battle to survive. tongue-twisting Latin taxonomy. My parents used to struggle to say the names as they would try to read to me out of my Rand McNally dinosaur books, and I would have to correct them. It's pronounced coelacanth, mom. Hey, the struggle is real. A few years ago, I decided to attempt to bust off some knowledge on a six-year-old cousin who is 
fully gripped with dino fever. And while I was trying to explain some changes that have happened in the field since I was his age, in the middle of me trying to give an example, he corrected my Latin emphasis on ankylosaur. It comes full circle. So here's the normal pattern. Child discovers dinosaurs. Child collects, reads, watches whatever they can get their hands on about dinosaurs. Cookies, cakes, backpacks, lunchboxes, all fair game. Then, after a year or two, dinosaurs become passe. They're not hated or anything. It just becomes a meh, done that, seen it. The name recognition goes away, as does the ability to pronounce the Latin. That sloughs off away from the memory circuits, and you're left with someone who grows up to say, Yeah, Jurassic Park, that was a fun film. Any more Krispy Kremes left in the break room? So let me describe now the abnormal pattern, which contains great divergence. Those kids who never really grow out of loving dinosaurs they often go into the hard sciences, studying geology, paleontology, anthropology, archaeology, zoology. They become researchers, they write books, they win grants, they go to dig sites, and then they gently rub layer upon layer of dust and dirt off of every rock they see for months on end in a dig site that can span football fields, essentially using a makeup brush. Oh, did I mention they can barely afford to survive unless they're like a celebrity paleontologist? Like all those celebrity paleontologists you've heard of, be it Jack Horner or Robert T. Bakker or Jack Horner and Robert T. Bakker. And those guys are like crazy mountain hillbilly slobs. Not such a sexy job after all, eh? But those who continue to love but never quite embrace any of the aforementioned lifestyle, that would be what I have scientifically designated as WMCs, Weird Man Children. Because let's face it, women, you don't do this, and I must say you're better off for it. So these creepy bastards still have dinosaurs around their house. Perhaps they have them at their desks at the office. They try to part-time stay up on things that happen in the field, and they still try to absorb a good, healthy level of dino action in their own personal lives. They linger at toy sections. They're a little creepy. They look at t-shirts that have dinosaurs on them. And most importantly, they can and will watch dinosaur movies. And I'm not just talking about the Jurassic Park franchise. I know of what I speak because we can smell our own. I don't understand why dinosaur films were relegated to the B-movie genre bin so quickly. Historically, they began with such an amazing start. The first film to feature dinosaurs on the silver screen was the 1905 silent short Prehistoric Peeps, which was an adaptation of a popular comic strip of the day, going by the same name. The dinosaurs there were just people in costume, miming dino behavior. 
it would be almost a decade before the subject was touched upon again, tackled first by an early animated silent film in 1914, Gertie the Dinosaur, which was created and directed by Winston McKay. While all of 12 minutes, it's actually a cute piece of animation. It's got a little drawn McKay showing off his trained dinosaur, Gertie, as if she was trained like an elephant act. He makes commands, uses a whip, gets her to do various basic animal act routines, raising her feet, bowing to the audience, lifting him up. She humorously gets annoyed with him at one point and kind of nips at him, but then she cries when he uh, scolds her and he ends up feeding her a pumpkin to smooth things over. She ends up drinking a lake dry that she's performing next to and then carries McKay off while he bows. It was simple, it was popular, and it was quickly usurped after only two months. D. W. Griffiths The titan of the film industry in his day released his film Brute Force in April of the same year, and it had several different methods for depicting the Thunder Lizards on the silver screen. Live-action alligators were filmed with various quote-unquote enhancements that would be glued on wings and horns. And then later in the film, a rather crude stop-motion Ceratosaurus makes an appearance. And with that appearance, the preferred method of including dinosaurs in films had been born. Stop-motion prehistoric beasts would then reign supreme for the next 70 years on the silver screen, at least up until the mid-80s when practical effects and rod puppetry could be utilized by blue screen and later green screen enhancement. So, Griffith's inclusion of stop-motion dinos did prime the explosion, but it was the one-two punch that actually detonated the dinos on big screen. That was the dueling titans of popular culture in their day. 1925's The Lost World, which was an adaptation of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's adventure novel, was a certified hit. It was a stop-motion film par excellence, showing a herd of Triceratops, a hungry Allosaurus, and a battling T-Rex, all while put against a backdrop of a rampaging Brontosaurus that was brought back from a distant land into civilization, and that captured the public's imagination. Some even questioned if the animals were truly fake. Remember, this was 1920s, folks. You could have a guy named Mike, he could move two towns over, start calling himself Fred, and basically everyone would agree that Mike disappeared. <laughs> simpler times. Even more iconic, it was 1933's King Kong that brought the dinosaurs and a large ape that beats them up into the age of sound. And that was a box office smash. You had stop-motion dinosaurs, giant apes, bugs, they were later cut out of the film, all munching and crunching on various poor sailors hired by a film company to find and shoot exotic wildlife. Honestly, the original Kong story doesn't make a ton of sense, but I would happily still rather watch it any day of the week over the 2005 Peter Jackson remake. Come on, I got him. 
you call this thing? Why, something from the dinosaur family. Dinosaur, eh? Yes, Jack. A prehistoric beast. Say, just look at the length of that brute. If I could only bring back one of these alive. All right, sidebar. So in King Kong, they go to an island to look specifically for exotic wildlife. And while yes, Anne Darrow gets captured and carried off by a lovesick Kong, on an island teeming with prehistoric life that the world has never seen before. On the island alone, we see Stegosaurus, Tyrannosaurus, Brontosaurus, and Pterodactyls. Why don't they decide to bring home any one of those above-mentioned animals, and instead, they decide to bring back an animal everyone has seen already? A gorilla. Sure, he's big. Didn't you just notice that three-story lizard walking around out there in the background? I mean, I know, I know, don't go pulling threads, but I'm just saying. On the whole, though, dinosaurs were an easy trope to use. Either stick them in on a remote island somewhere, all the various lost worlds, lost continents, land unknown tropes. Or you could put them on a distant planet, like Voyage to the Prehistoric Planet, Planet of the Dinosaurs. Or you could have them be discovered in a remote location, such as the Beast of Hollow Mountain, the Valley of the Gwangi. Or simply just set your film in prehistoric times, complete with anachronistic cavemen and women, with an emphasis on fur bikinis, a uh, hundred million years BC comes mind, um, when dinosaurs ruled the earth, and the Ringo Starr classic Caveman. As a subject matter, dinos were very popular, and then, in 1993, Spielberg's big screen adaptation of Michael Crichton's 1990 novel, they were taken to a completely new level, both in the sense of cinematic representation, where practical effects and computer animation were melded to create very like-life dinosaurs um, on screen, and then spawning a new wave of films that starred plucky new reptiles. Everybody wanted to get a chance to make a buck off this new dinosaur fever that was sweeping the globe. Principal Skinner, um, I'm real sorry about my dog getting you fired and biting you and then getting it on with your leg. Well, maybe it was for the best. Now I I finally have time to do what I've always wanted, write the great American novel. Mine is about a futuristic amusement park where dinosaurs are brought to life through advanced cloning techniques. I call it Billy and the Clonosaurus. Oh, you have got to be kidding, sir. First you think of an idea that has already been done, and then you give it a title that nobody could possibly like. Didn't you think this was... a list for 18 months! Every magazine cover had it. Popular movies of all time, sir. What were you thinking? I mean, thank you. I'll come again. The odd thing is, while they have had lots of films about dinosaurs, a majority of the films I have just named, they don't often get seen. 
I mean, I saw all these aforementioned films for two main reasons. First, I was an obsessed dinosaur kid, and my parents would rent films for me to watch about them, or I would be tuned into stuff. Uh, and, and second, there used to always be like two days out of the year, usually once over Thanksgiving, and then once again sometime over the summer break, where local UHF stations would have like dino-themed weekends, or, you know show a bunch of good and or also bad dinosaur films on a loop. And that's where I discovered some of this weirder stuff. And that's where I, you know, grew to love it. I, it's also how I got in trouble, and we'll get into that later. But I would park myself down on some random Saturday afternoon and watch for a couple hours, also while taping them, these films to watch again and again later. WPWR-TV and TBS were often the ones hosting these long dinosaur marathons, and for those hours I would spend in front of the TV drawing or playing with my Legos, I got all the dinosaur action I could handle. And that is what we are planning on bringing to you, all the dino action you can handle plus some exciting new guest contributions, as well as a few obscure titles in here to boot. I do hope you will enjoy our offering for September. It should be an exciting month. Thank you again for joining us. If you like us, please follow us on our Facebook page at The Linden Street Cinema Experience and recommend us to friends. We're also on Instagram at LSCE underscore podcast, or you can follow us on our Twitter at LSCEP. I have to say, we've been growing our listenership out there, folks, and it's all thanks to you. So please keep the momentum. Follow or subscribe to us on the podcast platform of your choice. If you're an Apple podcast user, please, we would greatly appreciate a five-star review from you. If you want to get in touch with us, make a comment, ask a question, send us wonderful things, please email us at lindenstreetcinemaexperience at gmail.com or send us an audio message by way of Anchor. It's a free and easy app to use. So, until we see each other again, walk that dinosaur, and remember folks, life's too short not to live in the past. Take it easy, everybody. (laughs) 